0: Hello everybody, um, there's a lot of people in our world who depend upon other people for happiness and fulfillment and 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 and, and uh there's a that's a great problem with human race because we dep- we're we depending on people who are sinners and even the best of us are going to let each other down. If we depend on other people for essential things, we all depend on people obviously for for various things, um, you know, people who help us in, in multiple areas, uh, we depend on people to pick us up at times or to, uh, to just be with us or to talk to us, whatever. But it, we're talking here about uh, being dependent on someone for something that's essential to life, meaning happiness or fulfillment or anything that's essential to being human. And if we depend on other people for those things, since they're weak, it leaves us weak. And we're weak to begin with. And so we become broken and disillusioned. Uh, So for some people, the solution is to be a loner. And I'm just to separate themselves from all people and from society. But if you do that, then you're depending upon yourself. And And you're weak. And again, your foundation is weak and it breaks and you're disillusioned. Uh, It's the greatest kind of disillusion because you're disillusioned with yourself. So others will say, well, I know what to do. I'll be a loner with God. It'll be me and God or me and my Bible and no people. And however, that violates God's commandments. God commands us to love, to serve one another, to comfort one another, to encourage one another and on and on and uh, to one another. And so you won't be with God. Because you're violating his commandments as a lifestyle, and so you'll be alone and you'll be back back again to depending on yourself, which is going to be weak and disillusioning. So, what do we do? We depend completely on God. And that's our subject today, is that God is faithful, as Paul relates in our passage. God is faithful. He's absolutely worthy of our dependence, and that dependence is perfect because he's perfectly faithful. No one else can we depend upon besides him, and uh, we'll see that today. So, when you depend upon him, then you can actually give to others and love to be around others. And when they let you down, and they will, because the best of us will, that is all your whole life and dependence, your foundation is Jesus Christ, who will never let you down. And so you can forgive them, knowing and hoping that when you fail them, which you will, uh, that you'll be forgiven also. So let's open up in prayer. We're going to start as our usual spot in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's begin by thanking God for our time and thanking him for his word and for leading us into the truths that we each need to fulfill a life that is truly heavenly and that we have been given in this age as his new, new creature. So with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for who you are. You are holy and righteous and just and your faithfulness to us in love sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. And it's through Him, Father, that and only Him, because of our fall, because of our sinfulness, that You have broken down the barrier that is between us and You. You've redeemed us through the blood of Christ. You have saved us by His work, and therefore, by His cross, we are healed. And we thank You so much, Father, for that incredible sacrifice Something that we could never really wrap our minds around, but appreciate fully. And so, Father, as we again turn to your word, and today that we look at your faithfulness, impress upon each of our hearts what that should mean to each of our lives. It's such an important concept, an idea that we must know to depend upon you for everything. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, God is faithful to us, and no one else is. Uh, when, uh, when Eve was about to, uh, thinking of eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan said, you won't die if you eat that. You won't die. Uh, and actually, of course, we did. And when she ate it, though, she didn't die on the spot. So in a way, one wonders if, uh, if Satan was able to fool her even more so after that. But what, of course, we read in the, in the narrative that they knew that they were naked immediately. And the reason why this happened is because they, they actually didn't come to know good and evil. They didn't know it, not like God did. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil didn't give them actually the knowledge of good and evil. It gave them the independence or the ability on their own to try and discern it. To discern now, you have eaten from that tree, now discern good and evil. And they're unable to. And nobody is able to. Uh, and so the, the peop- even unbelievers now who know something about good and evil have learned it through revelation from God and uh, not on their own. Just look at any little kid and say if they figure out on their own what's good and evil without instruction from parents or schools or teachers and so on. And so this pressure upon us that come to know, all right, now you're, you're your own man, you're your own woman, discern what's good and evil. So when Satan said you will not die, he lied. and We died. The fall was catastrophic, epically so. We're so used to being sinners and sinning that we don't really understand how absolutely catastrophic the fall was, plunged into sin. God's revelation of peace is one of wholeness, of good, blessing in every person and all throughout the world. How could that possibly happen with now people like us who have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? How in the world could we possibly gain it? Well, God had to be faithful. Uh, God's peace is prosperity in all areas. That's what we talked about on Sunday, that the peace of God is prosperity in all areas of our lives, which means obedience to God in all areas of our lives. And so... uh, you know what? What God always had in mind for the human race and for the world. You know, wh- what would that be? You know, what what would it be? And and it's really heaven. You know, what does God want for the human race? What does God want for all of us and all of us together? And it's heaven. And so the question is: Is there heaven on earth, or do we have to wait? You know, if for anyone who is saved, they have to wait until heaven to have God's peace. And certainly from our passage and many other passages, the answer to that is no, and that God has actually given us in this age uh, in in uh, uh, a newness of life that actually exists in such a way that God's perfect peace and perfect fellowship with him is absolutely possible for anybody. Not sinlessness, but fellowship and walking with him and... And depending upon him and and knowing God intimately on a personal level. And, And that's never been true before this age. And now it is. So in God's faithfulness, the fall has been undone. And God didn't return us to the Garden of Eden. He actually gave us something else. He gave us something more, which is heaven with him, with God in us. Uh, Adam and Eve didn't have that. They had a marvelous place. They had a marvelous relationship with one another. They had a marvelous existence. But it, nothing compared to what we experience now. Uh, wh- however, what we have now, as we all know, and it's a part of this, and when we roll into 2 Thessalonians, we're going to see it again, because Paul brings it up immediately, that we're going to suffer. You know, and the reason we're going to suffer is because, well, we're following God. We're going to be so very different from what the world is. So, is there heaven on earth? Absolutely, there is. Because the one who calls you is faithful. Now, the first thing that happened, what made me think is, you know, what's the first thing that shows, it's not really the first thing, the first thing that God did to show his faithfulness to Adam and Eve when they fell was to cover them with animal skins. He covered them. But then, I think the most dramatic aspect is the ark. You know, who's in, there's eight people inside that ark with the animals. Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. But it's really Noah is the one. And Noah's name means rest. That's what he was called. And his father said, and Noah's the tenth generation after Adam. So ten meaning a number of completion. There's this whole generational uh, line that is given in the book of Genesis right up to Noah. And Noah's father says, prophesies actually of Noah that this one will give us rest from our labor, meaning his son Noah. So as you know, Noah's commissioned to build an ark, and God saves them. He destroys those. And, you know, who got destroyed in the flood? Those who rejected God. They had rejected God and perished. And so God is faithful. The one who calls you is faithful while the world around you is a whirlwind a flood uh as jesus said uh, the house built upon the rock the rain the storm the wind everything is hitting it those are god those are problems life's problems my flesh uh telling me to do this that and the other thing that's against god's will bombarding me all the time uh can i overcome these things and some would say well You know, some people have been handed such a bad hand in life that they can't overcome that. But that's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Not that I know what it's like to be born, say, a slave or to be uh, abused as a child by my parents. I had had good parents. Um, You know, but I know people who have been abused. I have good friends who have been abused. And um, they've overcome it. I know people have been brought up in horrible situations and have overcome it. I recently met a a gentleman who has lived decades on the streets of this area in Salem. Lived a horrible life as a criminal, as as a homeless man. He overcame it. As soon as he found God, everything changed for him. Now he's an evangelist to the same streets that he used to sell drugs on. And a magnificent one. So, you know, I like it, you know, you're in the ark. Those who are in the ark are safe. There's only, and you know, all the uh, imagery to the ark is marvelous. You know, one of the things I remember is there's one door. So there's one way in, there's one way out. Jesus said, I'm the door. You know, enter through me and you will be my sheep and I'll lead you out to pasture. So, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which we're starting to know pretty well. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. So this second clause there is a repetition of the first one. It's very Jewish, actually. The God of peace sanctify you entirely. That means your your whole self, and then Paul repeats that, emphasizes your spirit, your soul, your body, your inner self, your outer self, your immaterial self, your material self. And your soul really refers to the whole of you, uh, preserved by God, complete. And that means all the parts. Without blame, that's what we're called to, blamelessness. And until the coming or at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Paul means there is that this continual process of sanctifying every part of me, which is, is growth which is, in, as we've noted, this is experiential or practical sanctification. And this it means living a holy life in every area with every person. And, you know, when I think, I've thought about this today, I was like, it's every thought. It's, it's not just, I could say to God, look, look look, at all these things that I've quit, all these vices that I've overcome. and then. But if you're really honest with everything, like it's every thought that you have. So when you're sitting around brooding and bitter, this is what I do, I, I, whatever, for whatever reason. I'll get bitter and brooding and cranky, and I am not sanctified at those times. You know? and, and I'll thank God we know that we're forgiven, and, and we progress. So my point being is, is here that we're not going to continue to, we're not going to stop learning and growing until the Lord returns. So, in other words, I guess Paul is saying here, get used to learning. Get used to growing. Get used to changing until the Lord comes back. So, of course, uh, Paul anticipates the response of anybody who would read this and say, that's impossible. Uh, And then he says in verse 24, faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. So, God is faithful. Calls, if you remember, and I think that was yesterday we talked about this. It's a present participle. It means it's continuous. A continuous calling. It was yesterday, today, tomorrow. It's the call to be holy unto God. And that's what we've been created for. And it's what pleases God. And yet the one who calls us to this, and if you're a born-again believer, you're called to it. That's right. You know, There's no roll call that you need to go search for and see if your name is on it. And all of us who have been believers know we're believers. Nobody has to tell us that because the spirit within us testifies or witnesses to our spirit that we are the children of God. We have believed in Christ as our Savior. All those Lordship Salvation guys who might try and confuse us and say, well, do you have enough good works that proves that you're saved? I, say, I don't need any of that. Right? I know I have believed in Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believed in him. Whether I'm a bum today or I've been a bum for a year, I, mean, I don't you know what I mean a spiritual bum. whether I've been overrun with sin, I know I'm a believer. And if I'm a believer, which God makes clear to me, then uh, you're called. and that's it. There's no debate. God didn't ask you. God didn't ask you what kind of calling you would like. He didn't give you an option, He didn't give you a menu. He said, I'm calling you to such and such, to this. And we all come to know as we get roughly up to wherever our ages are, that control of life is a complete illusion, that we control nothing really, and that we have things in our lives that uh, without the faithfulness of God would be you know, pretty scary at times. So anyway, moving forward into faithfulness, to be faithful in the Scripture, it has two meanings, and it's pretty common, actually, in all languages. It would have all this, these two meanings, which is an active meaning first. The active meaning is believing and trusting. This is an, an adverb. Um, and so, uh, it's not the word for faith. It's the word faithful. It modifies a verb. You know, you have, somebody has to be faithful. So, faithful could mean that you're trusting or believing something, and uh, that's generally on our side, but actually both of them are. The passive meaning is that you're trustworthy or reliable. And it's obvious in this case, that's why I put the big green check there, is that you know, in uh, the subject of this is God. God is faithful. The one who calls you is faithful. It's not talking about our faithfulness here. It's talking about God's. And God is not believing in anything. Right? He doesn't believe. You know, he is dependable. And that's what it means. For God to be uh, faithful means that he's trustworthy and dependable. And that Paul is using a prayer wish, may the Lord sanctify you entirely, shows that there is a question as to whether this ultimate state and condition in a believer can actually occur in time. You know, Paul is wishing it. That means it's not actually a guarantee for everybody. But when God calls you, and you're called today to be holy, uh, does he make mistakes? Say, well, it was impossible for me today. Well, if God calls me today, it's not impossible for me because God doesn't make mistakes. He's faithful. If he calls me, that means I have meaning. That my life has meaning. Does God just willy-nilly do things? He always has purpose. Always. So if God calls me to something today, it's very important to him that I do it. Now, you know, we say, well, why is it important to him? Or how is it important And He doesn't give us those details. He just says that it's important. It's important, obviously. An entire New Testament is written about this. And that it's vital that we... Fulfill our calling, and uh, and so and to know. Look, God will do it. That's the second part of this: that God is able; He will do it. He is all powerful, and God doesn't make mistakes. So, if you're called today, then you know God wants this for you, and it's got to be marvelous, obviously. So what? I, the great hurdle, I think, for every believer is just coming to, within their own soul, the conclusion or conviction on that. That once you're convicted of that, it's, it, then you're going to be putting your, your heart and soul into it because you're in agreement with it But it's not a burden. So that God is faithful and that we're all predestined become, to become conformed to the image of Christ and in all of eternity, we will be. We're predestined to it, Romans eight 29. We're all predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, so eternity, we're all set. And that's another thing, too. We see multiple times here in 1 Thessalonians that Paul mentions the coming of Christ, the day of the Lord, coming like a thief, I think five times. I said yesterday four times, but I was rereading the book today, and I missed the time. It's five times in the 1 Thessalonians that Paul mentions the coming of Christ. And so it's it's vital that you know we know that this end is happening, and that uh, the struggles that we face now are temporary, and that since God calls us to overcome these struggles with our relationship with him, they're vital it's it's super important to God, and therefore it should be to us that we are those who are sanctified entirely. Now, uh, bring it to pass, just to dot the I's and cross the T's here, is the future act, active indicative of poieo, and poieo is a very common Greek word. It's used multiple times in the New Testament for doing. Uh, it can also mean make. So poieo means to do or to make, and uh, and so it says basically, this the he will do it. It's future. He will do it. So, I'm not there yet, but God will do it. And it's indicative, meaning there's no question that God will do it. It's obvious that we have to make good choices based on a vibrant faith. Again, we've got to be convinced of this. And that's what God is doing. And, um, And every believer takes time. Hence, we can't judge... Others, I know it's easy to, and I know you want to. I want to. Everybody wants to. To judge others. Why don't they get with it? What the heck is wrong with them? But you see, even when we don't do this sanctification thing, this holiness of life thing, God is still faithful. He doesn't change. Every believer, So, you know, prodigal son is perfect for this. And you can't overuse that parable. It's just too beautiful and too perfect, like all of his parables. But the father's always waiting for the son. The father never stops waiting. There's never a time when the son returns from his faraway land from being an idiot that the father will not run out to him and throw his arms around him. Every believer takes time to adjust to his new life. It's an alien life. It's a foreign life. It has not anything to do with the life that we've known before, before we became believers. What it takes is knowledge. That takes time. Understanding takes time. Changing our motivation, which really comes from being convinced, that takes time. It all has to be developed. The sooner that happens, the better. That's very true. But many have spent time in disobedience, and for those who have changed, they will tell you that they suffered terribly for their disobedience. Those who are still being disobedient will not agree with the fact that they suffer too much for their disobedience because, you know, no one wants to call themselves out on it. But uh, for those who have recovered from disobedience, they'll tell you that they suffered greatly for their disobedience, as I would share that with anybody. It was never worth it, not once, not once. We are forgiven, and that's another place where God is faithful. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. So God is always faithful, and even when we suffer for our disobedience, He will never give up on us. It is never too late. If you're alive, it's never too late. And, and once I, I, I'm convinced that once a believer truly you know, uh, understands that the changes in that person will happen rapidly. So that's why, you know, God says don't judge. If you say, well, that person's never going to amount to anything, you have no idea. They could change in a day and be far more spiritual and better than you are who are judging them in a very short period of time. So when God, the, the other part of faithfulness is that when God calls somebody, it's never a mistake. He will accomplish all his good pleasure, and God makes choices to do that. So he chose you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're elected, you're chosen, and you are called today to be under his will. He never makes mistakes. Now, obviously, if we resist God's will, will, he honors our choice. He doesn't force anybody. He does honor our choice. We will be what we want to be. What he is trying to get us to see is how wonderful beyond all imagination his will really is. When we see it and we're tempted to sin, we'll be tempted to go back or we're tempted to go back to our crud, so to speak. We will say no because we've seen it. We want to glorify the one who has called us, who loves us and experience the life that he has given us because it's marvelous. And God went through a lot to give it to us. So it must be More important than anything else. So go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We were here yesterday, so I'll just read it. But it's a a vital part of this. We're going to look at several scriptures where it says God is faithful. And we'll learn something about God's faithfulness. And from this, we'll want to learn more so of that we, no matter what, Must depend upon Him. No matter what happens, we have to depend upon Him. So that means I I refer to His will in everything. God knows every part of our lives or your life and provides more than enough to thrive in it, for us to thrive in it. More than enough. So we saw this. This is what we spent time on yesterday. In the context of the Exodus generation, where they were called by God to go into the promised land, meaning it was their life. And that's what this refers to, our life. So God writes, or Paul, well, God does write, but Paul writes it. Paul's the pen. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And that means everything in your life you are able to handle, Everything. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. The way of escape is trusting in him. So what are you escaping from is not the trial. Because notice he says so that you'll be able to endure it. Escape doesn't mean that your endurance is no longer necessary. If you'll be able to endure it, that means you're still in it. But the escape is the escape from worry, from anxiety, from anger, from angst, uh, from immorality. All the things what did the people do in the Exodus? It's right here in this chapter. They played they, they went into immorality. they worshiped the golden calf. they complained and grumbled and uh, and that's what we're given escape from. So it is our calling so we relate the faithful is God who calls us it's our calling to thrive in life no matter what. So it's our calling to thrive today, no matter what. Now, whether we do that or not, if we take this on a day-by-day basis, you know, we know we're going to have bad days. And some days that have bad things that we're, we, we didn't live up to it. But And that's a failure on our part. So we do what? Confess. Move on. The beauty of the grace of God. God's faithfulness... Enables us to trust Him. Second Timothy two eleven. Uh, since we're going to be in Hebrews for a few passages, I put this on the board. Second Timothy two eleven says, "If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself." Right? For God to be unfaithful, He'd have to deny His nature. He can't do that. So, God is faithful. Now, some have taken this to mean, well, if we're faithless, meaning it's okay to be faithless, God's still faithful. God is still faithful. But in no way is Paul saying that it's okay to be faithless. Why in the world would he write that? Some have interpreted that way, which is silly. Uh, This doesn't mean it at all. Paul is, in, in a blanket term, he's saying, look, if the whole human race is faithless, God is faithful. So the point of this is, if God is so faithful, depend upon him. For everything, it's our calling to always trust him no matter what. He can't lie, he cannot deny himself. Himself is in you, his calling is on you, and he can't deny that, even though we can deny him. All right, let's go to uh, Hebrews 10, Hebrews chapter 10, a few passages in Hebrews. Really dig lessons like this because it's it's pretty easy for me to just look at the word faithful uh, and find out where it is everywhere. Uh, actually, with a click of a button on my computer, I know everywhere it is, and so and I can look at all the passages and kind of just organize them a little, and and it's it's pretty easy to do. And the, but the passages, when you look at them all together, they're just so rich with meaning. God's faithfulness is to give us confidence in witnessing. He makes us confident in bold witnesses because we're witnessing to others. They'll shout us down, tell us to be quiet, or ridicule us or not listen, try to make us feel bad about it. Um, that's ridicule. And, you know, we'll say, well,. This is so important because you see, God is faithful and if you don't believe the gospel, meaning talking to anybody, if they don't believe the gospel, they're doomed. They're doomed to the lake of fire. And it's not our job to make them comfortable. Not that I'm gonna go out of my way to make them uncomfortable, which though Jesus did do that at times. And you might you know, if God leads you to do that, then fine. But um you know, it, it's we're all we're called to be faithful witnesses. And the the man I thought of, uh, I couldn't I thought of Peter at Pentecost, and I couldn't get a real good picture of him that I wanted. So th- this is John Whitfield. John Whitfield was an um, an enormously popular evangelist in uh, at the birth of our nation, late 1700s in in New England, not just New England, actually all the colonies. He traveled up and down the thirteen colonies, preaching outdoors everywhere. It was <clears throat> there's a record of him written by Benjamin Franklin, who was not a believer in Jesus Christ. He was a deist. He just he believed there was a God, but he didn't. He he was more like agnostic, and um, he writes how Whitfield impressed him so much that and there were, in Philadelphia, and there were thousands of people listening, and um, scientists that uh, Ben Franklin was, he started walking away, counting the steps, walking away from where Whitfield was, the center from where he was preaching, and he walked a radius away, counting the steps to see how far he would need to go before he couldn't hear him anymore. And I can't remember the exact number, but it's crazy. It's like like he walked a quarter mile away and he could still hear this guy's booming voice uh, and he was an amazing evangelist, also known to be cross-eyed which I the re- I don't find that I do find it funny I'll just admit that but uh, it didn't stop him. he looked there's paintings of him cross-eyed and it's you think well who was making fun of this guy that made this painting you know like when you colored in and when you were kids in the magazine and he gave everybody a devil goatee and you know, made them cross-eyed. But he was that way. And uh, it didn't stop him. Boldness. And why? Well, look at uh, Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without waver- wavering for he who promised is faithful. We do this because God is faithful, not because we're awesome evangelists who want to impress people. If I'm coming to anybody with God's word, with God's gospel, God who promised is faithful, meaning anybody, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter from what area of life, from what socioeconomic status, from wherever, that they are, if they believe that gospel, they will be saved eternally. And God is, also, there's a, a Jesus told us that there's a promise of reward. For those who weren't afraid to uh, confess the Father to other people, and it's in Matthew chapter ten where if we confess Him in this world, He will confess us to His Father in heaven. So, what that reward? There's a reward for us being faithful witnesses. Uh, go to Hebrews eleven. There's no real order to these things; they, they kind of really take on life itself. And this is also part of your witness is the fact that you're faithful. God's faithfulness allows us to wait patiently on his timing. And if I can do that, in other words, yeah, no, I don't have all that I want God to do, but I'm faithful. right? I know God is faithful, so I'll wait patiently. Everybody has to wait for God because he's not going to hurry up his program because we're impatient. But the key is to wait patiently, and we will wait patiently when we trust him. And this is a marvelous witness to the world, which Sarah was, as we see here in Hebrews 11.11. 11. By faith, even Sarah herself conceived ability, received ability to conceive. <laughs> By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She was 90 years old. So when I found this picture, uh, the one that's on the board, this, uh, this man, who, who his website is uh, gospelimages.com. Uh, he paints everything on this website. And he painted them old-looking, Abraham and Sarah. And that's them holding Isaac. And, you know, they would have looked old. Abraham's 99. Actually, in this picture, he'd be 100 because he had to wait a year for the birth of the baby. So uh, he's 100 and she's 91. Uh, so waiting patiently. The problem with our own timing on things is that our own timing is always based upon our wants and desires. And our own wants and desires are terribly limited Right, we don't know everything. We don't see everything. How could we possibly know the perfect timing on anything? So we're limited in scope. We're limited in understanding. And But God is not. And God is faithful. Has he forgotten about me? Not at all. Uh, not remotely. Uh, he has his timing on everything that he will do set perfectly in his infinite mind. And he's faithful to me. He's for me. He wants to bless me because I'm his child. I've been called to this. So, with all of that, and I have to often remind myself of this. It's one of the things that ha- When I start to lose my peace, we're told to pray. We're told to pray, to speak to God immediately. I, I, I really, a number of times in the last few days, I have absolutely failed to do that. And someone... You know, I was talking about something that, well, it won't give the specifics, but it was, and anyway, someone said, why don't we pray about that? And I'm like, you know what, why didn't I think of that? Like, so stupid. And I'm up here teaching prayer, you know, and, and so all of us have to be reminded. All of us have to remind yourselves. it's only you could pray in a minute and completely change your system of thinking. What about when you're waiting on God? Prayer is going to be super important there. And remind in a, in a personal conversation with God, He's going to convince you that His timing is perfect, and that it's right for us to wait. Wait, it'll come. What happens when we wait too? Is there's this anticipation that we have to deal with. Then there's the temptation that comes with anticipation, which causes us to worry. What about all the what-if scenarios that all of us have had in our minds that never came to fruition? The what-if scenarios. They're endless. And when we trust God, wait patiently, we tackle them all. He'll do it. He's faithful. God is faithful to reward us for doing what is right. Go to 1 Peter 4. And this reward that he speaks of here is heaven on earth. You know, what, whether it means, and there will be material blessings for believers, absolutely. Uh, how much or what kind, that all depends on what God wants us to do. You know, each of us have a calling in our lives. And that calling is going to require a certain amount of material. So, for some people, their calling needs no material. For some people, their calling needs some material. Whatever that material is or whatever it is, it has to contribute to our enjoyment of God in this life and our enjoyment of our calling and to fulfill that calling. And that's what God is going to provide for. Part of that calling is our enjoyment, by the way. So God is faithful to reward us. Look at first Peter four nineteen. Right after the the don't in this paragraph, the paragraph starts with don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you that has come upon you for your testing, you are to rejoice in it. Therefore, in verse nineteen, therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. All right, so here we have the same word again, faithfulness of God. We're called every day to do what is right. It will seem at times that we're going to lose out on something if we do what's right. You know the group of people are have the group of people we want to be with are having fun. It sounds like they're having fun. I know they're doing things that are not right. Maybe I should join them so I don't miss out on the fun. And I could tell that many times young people fall into that. And are you missing out on anything when sin is involved? Nope. Nope. Uh, you're actually going to gain misery. And this is clear in the Scripture. And anybody who's been trying to follow God for years and is over, I don't know, 50, <laughs> 55. Whenever anybody wakes up to this... <laughs> You know, they will tell you. That's why God says the older should teach the young. We should be, all of us as older people, should be teachers of the young and tell them and try to convince them that there's nothing there for you. And everything is with our God. Why? Wow, he's a faithful creator. Right? Who, in, who invented enjoyment? Who invented uh, pleasure? You we're the creation of God. He made us in his image. He made our, or even our bodies are, are made according to his design. And even though they're fallen, they are to be sanctified unto him. And that's a part of what Paul wrote in spirit, soul, and body. So, uh, what is God's reward? It's uh, the, his life and essence is always the reward that will include material things, but it's his life that's the reward, and that life comes from his essence. I liken that to, um, you know, it's. I, I liken it to something that's solid and good. Uh, you know, what sin and evil have to it is an um, a kind of vaporous. It's here one moment, it's gone the next. Like it, it's not a. Sin and evil produce these very quick things, if they're pleasure to the flesh or whatever, uh, even if it's a release like a slander or a gossip or a burst out in anger, uh, a jealousy that, you know, our flesh is kind of, I shouldn't say kind of, our flesh is sick. It's morose. Right? Don't we love to, we sit around dwelling on just horrible things. A, the news, the media realized a hundred years ago, probably more, that good stories, stories about good things don't sell. Why is that? Because people are morbid. They want to see the serial killer. Right? People are fascinated with serial killers. What about the mob, who are a bunch of debased, evil, shallow, sinful, criminal idiots? But the world loves them, right? The show Sopranos. I loved the show Sopranos. It was a great show. But you know, think of the people that we were watching. It was debased, and that's the flesh. The flesh just gets off on that stuff. But is there any substance to it? There's none. There's none. What if a person who hates and who's bitter, and where do they end up? They end up alone. No one who loves them, nobody who wants to be with them. And so they had their you know their times of enjoyment that were very fleeting, and therefore they weren't made of anything. But the things of God have this solidness to them; they're eternal. You love someone, you do good for someone, you can even feel it in your bones. Once you, you know, if you're a believer who's trying to learn God's Word and trying to do what God's Word tells you, you'll see this, that the good things have an actual solid foundation to them. And those, that's the stuff that really life is made of. It's very foundational. And that's what God is faithful to give. Uh, so, uh, here we are, the sheeples. We, even if we know all of this and we're convinced of all of this, We're still going to sin. God is faithful to forgive all sin so we can run. We're called to run today no matter what we did. Say you committed a big sin this morning. Are you off the hook from your calling today? The only way you'd be off the hook is if your big sin killed you. Then you're off the hook. You're in heaven with God. If I'm alive, I failed this morning, I'm I'm uh I'm a i have to be after it. And so what do I do? I confess my sin. So first John one nine, you can either turn it where are you in, still in Hebrews or in Peter? It doesn't matter. They're all around the same area. First John one nine, as you know it well, if we confess our if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that's because of the blood of Christ. So it's, as we know, it's not the confession that causes us to be forgiven. It's the confession then, just like the Lord in the Lord's Prayer, right? forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our iniquities as, as in Luke's Gospel, as we forgive our debtors, that it becomes part of our growing humility. That as we're growing strength, as we're growing in our strength, we're saying no to sin when we do sin we confess it so that we can continue in our own walk with god and it's not that we get anything for confessing it's just a ab- it's a admittance of the fact that i have uh, done what i should not have done that i have done which is not that which is not of god's will it's not hiding from god that's another thing god doesn't want us to do to confess to him is to acknowledge and see the sin And therefore, deal with it. And by dealing with it, we can reach ahead in our calling, not making excuses, uh, taking full responsibility. These are all things that confession does for us that are absolutely necessary to growth. To blame others, to hide it from God as if you could. These hinder our growth. God says, out with it. Just confess it. Out with it. And that is for us. God is faithful. Now, the whole uh, this comes down to is that the Lord was faithful to the Father's will. And so let's go there. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2.17. The Lord was faithful to the Father's will. And so because he was, we're saved. And that's what this here. The Father's will came to a head in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why we have that faithful prayer uh, that, or that um, famous prayer, I should say, the Lord, take this cup from me. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. <clears throat> but he came to do the Father's will, which is in Hebrews chapter, um, what are you, uh, chapter 10, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10. So Hebrews 2.17 says, therefore he, had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful High Priest in things pertaining to God, to make a pro- to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, propitiation is a fancy way of saying that Christ satisfied the justice of the Father. The Father could not overlook sin; sin had to be judged. Jesus took the judgment, and so he sat, he, he alone satisfied the justice of the Father. So to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And so notice in verse 17 that he is or he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And to do that, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. So this merciful and faithful high priest has to have an offering. That's what a high priest does. And the high priest has an offering for the sins of all the people. But it turns out, as Hebrews brings out so terrifically, is that he's not just the high priest. He's also the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So the high priest is the offerer and the same person is the offering. And it's unprecedented. Nothing like this has remotely happened anywhere. Not even close. And yet, this is our God who became a man so that He, to us, could be a faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. So He's faithful to the Father's will. And if we're going to be entirely sanctified, what do we have to do? This is where it turns to us. Faithful to the Father's will. And that means I've got to depend upon Him. Not depend upon people. Telling people, "You got to make me happy. You got to do this for me, so I'm happy." Depend upon Him. Learn how. It takes learning. I, yeah, I know people who uh, are—they're not members of this church, so I can—I should say that first off. You don't think I'm talking about anybody that are, are going through hard times people in our community that uh, Chris and I have gotten to know and they're Christian people a lot of the people we've gotten to know are Christian people because Maggie goes to a Christian school and they're, that's how we've met them is through that school and um, some of them are going through a hard hard time and you know I, I can't say that they're not depending upon God but it, it just doesn't look like it and you know and and my heart goes out to them. I, you know, we, I pray for them. As, and, and, but yet, the solution is there for anybody. I, I guess what I'm, I'm thinking of that if, if just in the few people I've met in my community, I have seen tragedy take over people's lives. Or they, I should say they have allowed it to take over their lives. But I, you know, I've seen tragedy in people's lives. And it comes from other people. It's not like we had a tsunami in Dallas, Oregon, and that, that's the reason people are suffering. It wasn't a natural catastrophe. It was a personal catastrophe. There's always somebody who's doing a bad thing to somebody else. And it's selfish, and it's evil, and it's sinful. And this other person turns to them and is they're miserable because of what that person has done. And uh, believe me, I get it. I have been made miserable more times than I want to admit from other people. But do we ever have the right to it? And we don't. Because the scripture tells us we depend on God. And then God says, look, I've called you and everything in your life. Getting back to our first passage. And we'll stop it here. I think i got a few more. But getting to our first passage in 1 Corinthians 10.13. God knows every part of our lives. God knew that the Exodus generation were going to come to bitter water. God knew that they were going to run low on water. God knew that they were going to run low on food. God knew that they were going to run into some fierce-looking dudes called Amorites that were going to say, uh, we're going to kill you. Nobody's trained for war. We're all just left Egypt as slaves. And uh, God knew this. God knew that they would be going through a wilderness. God knew that when the 12 spies went into the promised land, knew what they would see and what they would report when they came back. God knew it all. So the bad, what did we have in just that? We run low in supplies. We're hurting physically. We're hurting mentally. And we've got really bad news. And yet God is sitting there saying, well, I split the Red Sea. I killed all the Egyptians in it. I killed all the firstborn before you left. Um, What do you think I'm going to do now? And we would say, well, I haven't seen the Red Sea split. Well, God would say to us, I became a man and I went on a cross to die for your sins. I resurrected and rose again. Um, "What won't I do for you? Will you trust me? Will you depend upon me? And it gets right back to the cross and everything that God has done. So since God is faithful, we can trust and as we trust, we could say, well, He has calls, He calls me today to be holy. Can I do that? I must because he calls me and he's faithful to do it to do it that's the last part of verse 24 he will do it and i, I think for us that completes 1st Thessalonians i was thinking of going through a review but you know how people think you know what people think about reviews snooze fests right so yeah we'll we'll review as we do the rest of the bible so we'll be moving on to 2nd Thessalonians coming up so let's pray Thank you, Father, for your word and thank you for the grace and mercy and love and that all depend upon you and you don't change and you love us, that's your faithfulness. You gave us your son, that's your faithfulness. You save those through your gospel, that's your faithfulness to us as witnesses and you have called us every single day to be holy unto you and that's your faithfulness over our whole lives. You've known everything that will happen to us. And you have given us sufficient power, more than enough power, to overcome everything. On us, it's faith that we see, we believe, we understand, and put our trust in you completely. Show us how, Father, and grow us up. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.